Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hi, I'm Sabrina Schaefer, Executive Director of the Independent Women's Forum. Welcome to this special series of IWF's Working for Women podcast focusing on technology. During this series, we are speaking with leading experts on technological issues about how innovation is impacting our economy and American society for both better and worse. I'm thrilled to welcome as our first guest in this series, Naomi Schaefer-Riley. Naomi is a columnist for the New York Post, a contributing editor to acculturated.com, and a senior fellow here at IWF. Naomi is also the author of a forthcoming book on how the Internet affects families to be published by Templeton Press. Naomi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Sabrina. So I think it goes without saying that technology has refashioned our world. The very fact that we are having this conversation today, you in New York, me in Washington, um, making a recording that will then be available to millions of potential listeners on the Internet, it's really kind of an amazing place that we're at. Um, But I'd love to hear from you on what do you see as the biggest benefit of technology for our world today? Well, uh, I mean, there are so many, it's hard to know where to start. Um, But I think when you're thinking about uh, technology in the context of families, um, I certainly think uh, from my personal experience that uh, the amount of of work that we can do uh, from home on a more flexible schedule, I think, has been a huge boon uh, to families and, in particular, to working women. Um, I think it gives us a lot more of the flexibility that we've always wanted uh, with our careers and the ability to spend the time with our families that they deserve. It's so interesting, Naomi, because I think certainly at IWF we run a virtual office and it allows us to attract talent from all over the country and it allows us to be much more efficient with our time. And then the flip side, of course, is you see these articles that pop up once in a while and say, well, telecommuting means that women are working more. How do we as women and working moms um, sort of set boundaries and not allow technology to um, ensure that we're working you know, 12 hours a day? Well, I think that's a hard question. I I do think, you know, before we answer that, I do think that it's worth taking a step back and just thinking, you know, they're just sort of being a little bit appreciative of kind of what we have. I mean, that is to say that we we do have these choices, and it may seem overwhelming, and it may seem like all the mommy blogs are just complaining constantly about all the pressures (laughs) on us. Uh, But I I do want to sort of say, like, it's, it's great that we have these choices in front of us. So in terms of trying to set, you know, boundaries, um, you know, I think there are a lot of, uh, you know, people who, out there who are giving great advice about this sort of thing. Um, you know, Laura Vanderkam, um, who's written a lot about time management, is very good on this subject. Um, but I think, you know, for the most part, you know, we, we just have to be, I think, more honest with ourselves about how much time work is going to take, about, um, you know, when we actually do need childcare and when we don't. You know, you, I think you see a lot of women, right. you know, trying to do, you know, work and childcare at the same time. And I think a lot of the research suggests suggest that multitasking is not good for us, it's not good for our children, Um, you know, it sends the wrong message to them about what our priorities are, Um, and so I think, you know, to the extent that, you know, when we choose to be at home with our family, to the extent that we can 
you know, for our jobs, you know, put the phone away, um, you know, put the computer away and really kind of focus on the task at hand. I think it will eventually, you know, make us uh, more happy and satisfied. It'll probably make our work more improved because I know, I don't know about you, but once I had kids, I became much more efficient at getting the work done in the amount of time that I had. (laughs) Um, I think four or five hours as opposed to, you know, an eight or nine hour work day now, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. I mean, I've I've talked to mothers and I've talked to fathers. I mean, this is, I think this is true for everyone. You know, once you have real deadlines, you know, you spend a lot less time, you know, chatting, you spend a lot less time, you know, going back and forth and getting coffee. And, um, and I think everything gets done, you know, in, in the, in the allotted time for a lot of people. And, you know, I think for a lot of moms and dads, uh, sort of having that time to spend with your kids is really the dessert, right? So very often I find myself rushing to get everything done so I can take my kids to the park or I can take them to swim practice. It's sort of the dessert after I've eaten all my vegetables. So it's definitely motivating. Um, You know, one of the things that so often we think about with technology is that on one hand, social media sites like Facebook and Twitter brings us together and it, it sort of restores long lost friendships and um, family connections. And that's such a wonderful thing. Um, and at the t- same time, we sort of hear this idea that we're all bowling alone, right? That none of these relationships are substantive, that they're all just looking at people, you know, what people are cooking for dinner or their kid's birthday party, but that we don't pick up the phone. Um, how much of this do you think is, is overblown or do you think this is a real problem? Um, you know, I think it is a problem to the extent that, you know, people can sort of, you can get carried away. I mean, you can you can sit down with your computer at 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at, after your kids go to bed and Facebook is up and suddenly, you know, you've lost an hour or two hours just looking at exactly that. And I think, you know, uh, you, you can look at what they've cooked for dinner or where they've been on vacation and you can start reading all these things and you can feel like, oh, I'm, I'm interested kind of in the way that you're interested in gossip. Um, but, <laughs> but no you're not getting a sense of connection with that person. You're just sort of getting this like weird kind of, um, you know, uh, bird's eye view into their lives, but it's not a real connection. I guess I would agree with that. And I, and I do try, I mean, you know, when I was, when I first graduated from college, you know, cell phones were becoming very popular and my friends and I used them, you know, in the way some people find obnoxious, you know, I'd be waiting in line for something and I'd be talking to my friends on the phone, but they would be across the country. And I thought, this is a great thing. And I still think it's so important, you know, for, for us to connect, you know, by phone or in person to the extent that we can, because I think you just, you get a much better sense from people's voices about what's really going on in their lives. And I, for one, find them much more satisfying um, in the end than, um, than just looking at my, my Twitter feed. Right, and it's you know it's interesting because it is also sort of the anonymity that you have on some social media sites allows people to really be kind of nasty. And, and you and I both are, are writers, and we're out there in the public eye. And sometimes I take a look at sort of that comment section at the bottom of an article, and I think never read the, the comments. Comment. Never read not, the comments. Right. <laughs> it's anonymity, right? People say some pretty nasty things when they don't have to look at you face to face. So yeah, no, I think it's interesting. You know, the, there are a number of uh, prominent people who've recently announced. You know, they're quitting Twitter or they're taking a break from Twitter because of all of the, you know, the horrible things that people have said about them. And, and I have certainly gone through that. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I had a few years ago, I had, I don't know, 6,000 professors calling for me to be fired from a blog, from a blog position at the Chronicle of Higher Education. Right. So I've definitely been through that. I think, 
you really, um, you, you just really have to think about the people whose opinion you care about and, and, and read, you know, the things that they say to you. But I, I think you really have to, in this day and age, just find a way to shut out a lot of the, uh, the nasty comments and, 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 like I said, not read the comments section. Um, but, yeah, I think you, you really need to understand that anonymity has provided people with this amazing ability to say things they would never say in person. And, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about this soon, but I think it's really provided that, unfortunately, in the context of kids um, who really don't know any better, um, you know, in terms of their interacting with their peers, uh, it's provided them with this um, kind of really powerful and, I think, dangerous way of interacting with others. You know, do you have some advice for parents on how to protect their children? Because certainly that is something. And my children are just getting to the age now where they're beginning to use computers and, and don't, you know, potentially go online for things for school. Um, what is your sort of, you know, two cents on that in terms of advice? I know every family has to, to make their own decisions and rules. Right. Well, I think, you know, there, there are a number of different things to worry about, but I, I try to think about uh, the Internet and its dangers in terms of the three Ps, um, that, that things that kids do online are totally private in the sense that they could be, you know, maybe anywhere in your house and doing stuff on a computer and you won't know about it, totally public in the sense that lots of people can find out about it afterwards, and that's a big concern, and totally permanent uh, in the sense, as you know, that it's very hard to erase where you've been and what you've done. Um, so I think that as parents sort of go forward, they need to keep those three things in mind. You know, with regard to just doing Internet searches, I really think, you know, there is nothing like just looking over your kid's shoulder, making sure they're in a public place when they're working on the computer. Um, I, because I, I think what I've found through all my interviews is that there is no effective filter out there. Uh, for all the money that uh, we give to tech companies, um, there, is no, there, there is no filter. I mean, some people will say it's because... Uh, you know, the Internet, the goal of the Internet is to make everything free and open, and so a filter doesn't work in that kind of system. And other people would simply say, you're not going to be able to find a filter that will reflect your values exactly. Right. Um, so I think right. in that sense, it's very important to have uh, the computer in a public place. And then I think the second thing really to think about is in terms of communication. You know, you may feel like, uh, you know, your, your kid may come home and say, all my friends are on Facebook or all my friends are on Snapchat. You know, unless you actually have the time and the inclination to monitor their communications, don't do it because, I mean, I find right. so many parents, they say, look, I have a job, I have all these other things to do, and now in addition to that, I have to look through my kids' text messages and Snapchat at the end of every night to make sure that I know what's going on. If that's what right. you're doing, I think don't drive yourself crazy unnecessarily. Just say no. Just say no. I think that's an important one. Well, before we get to children, Naomi, there's, there's another area where technology is really changing our relationships, and that is in the, in the world of dating and, and marriage. Um, now, I have to admit to you and to others, I met my husband the old-fashioned way in a bar. <laughs> so <laughs> what do we think about sort of how technology is changing this? I, I feel as though um, it has really gone from being sort of a, something that people maybe scoffed at a little bit or chuckled at um, to, to widely accepted. This is how people, people meet one another today, and this seems to be completely okay. Yeah, I mean, the problems that I see with um, with Internet dating and meeting people online are not, uh, you know, that I worry about stranger danger, like that it's, you know, some psychotic killer you don't know anything about that you're going to meet um, on one of these dates. 
Um, what I worry about are, are two things that researchers refer to now as the paradox of choice and decision fatigue. So the paradox of choice, essentially, everybody knows now, you know, if you go into a store and there's lots of different kinds of jam, 60 different kinds, you're likely to go home without any jam. If there's three different kinds, you're much more likely to pick one and go home with it. Um, so I think right. it's very similar to dating and, and men in this case. Um, and, and I just too think... many options. There are. No, and, and you just, I mean, this is people swiping through Tinder or even, you know, the less kind of overtly sexual sites. I think it will always seem to you that there's something better uh, out there. And so how can you possibly commit? And of course, as you know, you know, commitment is going to be the key to your, your future happiness and the future stability and happiness of your family. And the second aspect right. of this is decision fatigue, which is that you just get into this cycle where basically all day throughout your work life, throughout your personal life, you're just making this constant series of decisions about, you know, what kind of shampoo to buy and where to shop for things and, and what to do at work and who to email and who not to email. And I think, you know, when it comes to our personal life, that often for people in their, you know, 20s and 30s can often even come last, you know, and, and so how do you make these kind of decisions, especially with in the back of your mind, the sense that there's something always better out there. So I, I guess, you know, to the extent that we can kind of attach ourselves to communities and think harder about the parameters that we want to set for ourselves um, and, and really kind of remind ourselves that, you know, it's, it's okay to not have total freedom for everything, um, that right. we can impose restrictions on ourselves about the way that we treat other people and the way that we date, I think that will ultimately lead to, you know, to better outcomes for our personal lives as well. Well, I think some of those restrictions is what um, has raised some red flags with some of these dating sites, which I think um, are often providing people you know, who, are, who are both you know, truly looking to meet someone some great opportunities. But I recently read an op-ed written by Linda Chavez that the company, The Match Group, which owns dating sites like Match.com and OkCupid, it recently bought up Princeton Review and Tutor.com, which are businesses that cater to kids and young adults. So... This takes us back again to this question of um, security. Do alliances like this where businesses see an opportunity, but do they create potential problems that parents should be concerned about? You know, is it dating mixed with study skills? I'm not sure. <laughs> right. New study partners. That's what you're looking for. Right. No, I, I think obviously, yeah, obviously these companies see a market. They want to sort of get on the radar of, of teenagers as soon as they start thinking about dating. The problems that occur, as we've seen, you know, recently, there were a couple of cases where, um, you know, younger, you know, adolescents were on these sites and they were actually having regular interactions with adult men. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, and, and that is, you know, presents this, this, this huge problem because, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a couple of cases, the parents had no idea that this is how their kids were using the computer or using the phone. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a message that parents want to hear, but, but vigilance is really, I think, the only way around this. I mean, we can, I, I don't think, sure. you know, you can, you can regulate companies out of merging just because their interests, uh, you know, seem a little bit uh, weird or creepy in some way. Right, um, I think right. you really have to, as a parent, you know, not, not depend on big tech companies or tutoring companies or dating companies to have the best interest of your child in mind. So I don't want to end this conversation on a scary or down note. <laughs> um, right, I think technology has really changed my life for the better. Um, but what do you think we can do? Is there a way that we can sort of maximize the good things? You know, what's sort of the, 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 sort of, um, the takeaway from all of this? What's the good news? 
Well, I think the good news for families, I mean, it's it's funny, the good news is so obvious that we often focus on the bad news. I mean, so right. you know, the, the good news is that we have this amazing access to information. We have this amazing flexibility to work from home. We have this amazing ability to just, you know, be in the park. And, you know, when your kid asks you a random question, you actually have the ability to answer it at your fingertips. Right. Um, you know, oh. we have the ability to share photos with everybody and, and, and uh, you know, and share these moments that normally would have taken us much more time and effort to to put together um, and I think in our, our kids obviously you know everything from from Khan Academy to you know to map it which is you know a game my kids are into on the iPad memorizing American geography uh, and, and thinking that that's fun um, I think that there is a there is a great deal to be said for for technology um, but I think it has certainly created a, a, a lot of things that that parents need to need to learn more about and understand better you know, it's so funny because I think very often when our drive to school, the kids will bring up some kind of animal, some parrot from the tropics, and we're able to, you know, in three seconds pull up a video and on the way to school they can watch and learn about that animal or whatever question <laughs> it was that they're answering. And it's so much fun not just for them but for um, their mom and dad to really be able to engage with them and, and answer those questions. Obviously, it feels this like is magic. A conversation. Yeah, it is. We're, we're, it makes it much more important. Um, Naomi, this is obviously a conversation that could go on and on, and I hope that we can talk again after your book comes out. Um, but thank you for being our guest today. And to our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this special edition of the Working for Women podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And if you want to learn more about the Independent Women's Forum or listen to more podcasts like this one, visit IWF.org. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.